The Lord sent his great messenger Elijah to anoint a prophet to follow him. God chose someone ordinary. Elijah found Elisha, a nobody plowing his father's field. And what was Elisha's response? He burned his plow and left everything he knew to answer God's call. Elisha, a tale of ridiculous faith. Is broken. And people are hurting. They're carrying years of past regrets, failures, and pain. They're lost in a fog of lies, disillusioned by what the world says is happiness. They've fallen into the trap of sin, desperate to become the good person they want to be, but powerless to change. Burdened, angry, and helpless. Jesus, run to the fallen. When we remove our insecurities and let the light of Christ shine bright in the darkness, God moves.
bit more as I get into the message today. I chose it because of uh, what's going on in Elijah's life. I may have to move a little bit. I feel like there's shadows. Are there shadows? All right, I don't care. <clears throat> Who cares if you see the bald guy? Pay no attention to the bald guy behind the table. Now, as we start this series, I hope you understand that when I say ridiculous faith, I mean the type of faith that is absurd to anyone who doesn't know God. Because anytime you exhibit faith, there y'all are, I can see you. There's people here, sweet. I love it when that happens. Anytime you exhibit faith, it can look like you're presuming upon God. It can look like what you're doing is absurd. And in fact, there are some good-meaning, some well-meaning Christians that sometimes when you step out in faith, they're going to say to you, oh man, you're taking this stuff way too seriously. And if you listen to those people, that's the surest way to miss what God has for your life. So as we open up the, the Bible today and we look at the life of Elisha, what I'm praying is that God will do some stuff in your lives so that you will become an all-in Christian. You'll never be the same because of the faith that you start exhibiting today because of this obscure prophet named Elisha. And if you have your uh, mobile devices, you can go to uh, version. you can click on live events, and then you put in 75801-802-803, and it'll pop up, the, the name of the, the series will pop up there, and you can follow along. If not, if you have your Bibles, you can follow along there. You're going to turn to 1 Kings 19. Now, I've got to back up just a little bit and explain who this guy is. Now, most people have heard of Elijah. Elijah was one of the greatest prophets in the Old Testament times. Elijah... Um, was a man of faith. He was bold. He was powerful. Elijah's the dude. The most famous story is when he uh, gathers everybody up and he, he gets the prophets of Baal and Asherah. There's 800 of them, 450 prophets of Baal. And he says, we're going to sacrifice an animal. You, do, you go first. You sacrifice the, the animal. You put it on an altar. And then I'll sacrifice an animal, put it on the altar. You call out to your God. I'll call out to my God. The God who burns the, uh, the sacrifice with fire, he's the real God. And everybody goes, that's a good idea. Great, great story. And this is what happens right before uh, Elijah comes and anoints Elisha. So I needed you to tell you that because a lot of people hadn't heard of Elisha and a lot of people get those two confused. Elijah was a great prophet. Very few people heard about Elisha when he shows up. Now, Elisha shows up and, and he puts his cloak on, um, uh, Elijah shows up and puts his cloak on Elisha and Elisha knew of Elijah and Elisha wanted to be like Elijah. So he says to Elijah, he says, I pray that you would give me a double portion of your spirit, meaning I've seen God do incredible things in your life. I want to do what you do, only more. Give it to me, whatever you've got. Elijah said, you've asked a really difficult thing. He said, but here's the deal. If you see me being taken up into heaven, Elijah never died. There was a chariot came and took Elijah, took him to heaven. And, he, and Elijah said to Elisha, if you see me go off into heaven, then God has granted your request. If you don't see me, God has not granted your request. Well, here comes the chariot. Elisha sees it. And so God puts a double portion of his spirit and just an unbelievable blessing on Elisha. So that Elisha does more recorded miracles in the Bible than anybody except Jesus. That's pretty big. And it all started with a simple request. I just want a double portion of your spirit. And God answered that crazy request. Now, you need to understand that Elisha was an ordinary dude. When we find him in the story, he's living at home with his parents. He's working on the farm. His parents have 12 yoke of oxen. He's working with the 12th yoke or the the 12th pair. And there's nothing about him that would cause you to go, dude, this is the next great prophet of of Israel. Because he's just working on a farm. He's living at home. He lives in the 9th century before Christ. 
Christ. The uh, Israelites had, had turned their backs on God. They were worshiping Baal and Asherah, just a couple of, of, of lowercase g gods, some idols. And uh, they, were in, they, they had turned their backs so much on God that, that God had let them be overcome several times. And they were actually split into two kingdoms. There's the northern kingdom. There's the southern kingdom. And that's the setting when ordinary Elisha meets an extraordinary God. And God empowers him to do some things that, that the world really hasn't seen since except in the life of Jesus Christ. So let's, uh, let's see about this. First Kings 19, starting in verse 19. So Elijah went and found Elisha, son of Shaphat, plowing a field. There were 12 teams of oxen in the field, and Elisha was plowing with the 12th team. Elijah went over to him, threw his cloak across his shoulders, and then walked away. Elisha left the oxen standing there, ran after Elijah, and said to him, First, let me go and kiss my father and mother goodbye, and then I will go with you. Elijah replied, Go on back, but think about what I've done to you. So Elisha returned to his oxen and slaughtered them. He used the wood from the plow to build a fire to roast their flesh. He passed around the meat to the townspeople. They all ate. Then he went with Elijah as his assistant. Now, I want to tell you kind of where we're going in this series. I love to to have new series about the time school starts. People get back from all their vacations and they get back in the routine. So I want you to know where we're headed. Now, next week, here's the deal. Because many of us, our faith is small. We're not willing to dream big dreams for God. At the same time, because we, we sometimes don't dream big dreams, at the same time, we're not willing to start small. And we're going to see a story where the Israelites were going into battle. They get there, they didn't plan very well. There's no water and they think they're going to die. They literally think that their armies are going to die from thirst. And they, said, oh, they start whining and complaining. And finally, somebody says, isn't there a prophet of the Lord around here? And somebody says, yeah, Elisha, he's done some mighty things. So they go get Elisha. Elisha comes out and says, what do you want? Elisha's a smart aleck. I love him. If there's a, uh, he was bald too. And so he's kind of my hero. You'll, you'll, you got to come back because you're going to see him next week and the week after. He's going to get so smart aleck. He uh, gives, me, gives me permission to be myself um, and be a smart dog. Anyway, so they, they ask him to provide water. And so Elisha says, go dig some ditches. That's not what we ask. And so the whole deal was they had to dig ditches. All of the armies are digging ditches in this field where there's no water before the water ever shows up. Great story. <laughs> How's that for a little teaser? Week three. Now, if you've ever been desperate... You're going to relate to this story because this was a widow who was about to lose her two sons. She had nothing. They were, they were about to die and God was about to show her. She had a little bit of oil in a jar and God was about to show her that in God's hand, she had enough to do what God called her to do. And so some of you are going to resonate with that story. And then week, week four, one of my favorite uh, miracles of Elisha, the, the, his followers, he's, he has a prophet school. So it's kind of like a seminary. And they're going to build a new seminary because there's not enough room in the old one. And so one of the guys has a borrowed axe and he's cutting wood. And the axe head fi- flies off into the river and sinks. And he's like, oh, no, it's borrowed. And, you know, uh, the prophets were very, very poor. And they borrowed the axe and he couldn't take that back. It was just unheard of to do that. And so Elisha goes and gets a stick, throws it out in the river the axe head floats. Someone say, that's ridiculous. That is ridiculous and it's true. And I want you to see through the life of Elisha, an ordinary dude who met an extraordinary God, you can do unbelievable things. Not for your glory, not for your benefit, but so that the kingdom of God can benefit. Well, back to today. All right. Verse 19, what was Elisha doing when Elijah showed up? 
he and his peeps were plowing the field. And, and to have 12 pairs of oxen to plow a field, that's a pretty big field. Can you imagine having 12 John Deers to, to go out and, and plow? Your, that's a, his parents were pretty wealthy. And he was probably going to inherit all of that wealth whenever they died. But he wasn't just sitting around being a rich boy. He was out there with the 12th pair and he was plowing. And, and as he's driving that 12th pair, uh, working on his, his parents' farm, he's been there a long, long, long time. And probably that's all he's going to do for a long, long, long time. Some of you can relate to doing the same thing over and over and over again. My dad worked for Phillips Petroleum Company for 37 years. He had to be at the plant at 8 a.m. He got out at 5 every day, five days a week, sometimes six and seven days a week. They'd always call my dad to come in extra, and, and dad would be home because we lived real close to the plant. He would be home at 5.05, and I thought that's when God ordained supper because we had supper every day at 5.05 when my dad walked in the door. Then I married Janie, and like, dude, 11, 12 o'clock at night, one o'clock, let's run. To, and I was like, you don't, you don't know what scripture says about when supper is. They didn't know about doing Christmas presents either. First time I went to a Hennessy Christmas and it was just a free for all. And I'm telling you, there was so much, there was, sorry, say toilet paper. No, there was, there was so much wrapping paper around the room. You couldn't even see each other. I said, this is not how God wants us to open presents. You open them one at a time and you watch. And Janie won on that one too, because we, we open presents all at the same time and we don't care. Now, can you imagine, my brother, my brother works for uh, Exxon, he's done that for 30 years. He goes in the same, when he's changed a couple of plants, but basically he's doing the same thing. I've been a, a minister for 32 years now. Um, I was 19, actually 30, I'm on my 33rd year, 19 years as a youth minister. And we've been in this church, um, 13 years, we're in our 14th year. And, and I don't know if you can relate to that, but if you can relate to going to work over and over doing the same thing with the same people, then you may relate a little bit with, um, with Elisha. Now I want you to think about what Elisha did. He's plowing. What kind of smells do you smell when you're behind oxen all day, every day? You smell oxen smells, oxen stuff. And, and I looked, there is not a fragrance like that at Bath and Body Works. You know, you can't just go, hey, let's, <laughs> there is one that says the ocean and I'm sorry, it doesn't smell like a beach. It smells better than a beach. But the first time I saw that Janie had it, I thought, well, who wants to smell like the beach? But it's, it's nice. Um, anyway, I digress. You smell oxen residue all day, every day. And if you're plowing behind oxen, what is your scenery? Just in case you're not sure, I got a picture for you. All day, every day, you see oxen butts. And as far as I know, there is no magazine called Oxen Butt Daily that comes in, you know, and you just observe them and enjoy that, right? This is a scene every day. Now, some of you can relate to that. You feel like Elisha because you've been doing the same job with the same people and you feel like you're looking at oxen rears. Do not call your coworkers oxen rears or donkey rears or anything, even if you feel like it. That is not the point of this message today. Maybe the way you feel, though. Salespeople have to meet a quota. They meet their quota, what do they have to do the next day? They have to start over, meet their quota again. And they meet their quota, and they do it again. They meet their quota, they do it again. When I was in college, I had two jobs. One of them was a, as a youth minister. One of them was working at a, at a self-service car wash. You talk about nasty stuff that people suck up in the vacuums and wash off in those things. I had to dig those. Anyway, um, I did that and studied full-time studying in college every day, all day, for four years, oxen rears. Parents, what do you see all day long? 
Diaper laundry dishes, diaper laundry dishes, diaper laundry dishes. It's, it seems like it will never change. Janie says all she ever does is wash clothes and wash dishes. Oxen rears all day. You understand every day. You're beginning to get the idea of what it was like to be Elisha. But here's what I want you to realize. There's not a hint in scripture that Elisha ever complained about doing a good, solid job. He was doing what he was supposed to be doing. He was putting in hard work. There's nothing wrong with that. When Elisha shows up, he was being faithful to the task at hand. And God loves to reward people who are faithful in little things. So what I want to do today is I want to give you four ridiculous commitment principles. If you want to have, if you want to make a difference with your life that lasts beyond this lifetime, I'm obsessed with leaving things here that last beyond my lifetime. I don't know how long that's going to be. 51 years old today. And I just read that old age starts at 74. <clears throat> I'm serious. I read that this week. That, that my generation is supposed to live longer than any other generation because we've got medicine. And I'm like, I'm not sure that's a real good thing. Just living on medicine, I don't know. I, I want to I go on and see the Lord. But, but anyway, ridiculous commitment principles that if you will follow these four things, God will use you to do something beyond your wildest imagination. It's the promise of Scripture. To him who is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to his power that is at work within us. To him be the glory in the church throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. That's a, that's a verse that, that keeps me going because God can use me to do more than I ever imagined and he can use you too. So ridiculous commitment principle number one. When you're faithful with a little, God can trust you with much. I kind of build my life on this because Jesus said it. He who's faithful in little will be given much. And if you're not faithful in little, even what you have will be taken away from you by God. And, and, and let me just tell you this. If you want to serve in the church, if you're not willing to do the little things, there is not a chance in hell that I'm going to let you do a big thing. Because you can't be trusted. But the people who do not care about... The people who come out here and, and serve yesterday... We, we served 47 families yesterday. 47 families were able to go out, and that's just the head of the household. There were kids and people. We'll show you some pictures in a minute. I didn't tell you about that, Travis. It's in the picture file down there. You can find that in a second. But there were 47 families that came here and got bags of clothes. They got one or two bags of groceries. They got a lunch yesterday, and uh, it's just amazing. People who were willing to come and do that with no notoriety, those are the people that are heroes in my book. The people that are heroes are the ones serving back in the children's area. They give up the right. Because some people say, well, I want to be in there for this series. Guess what? We record them every week. And we have CDs that you can take with you. You can serve in the back and you can still get all the singing. We're allowed to do that and give to our church members. You get all of the music. You get all of the, the teaching. You can still serve and God will probably accelerate your growth if you're willing to serve. Because if you're faithful in small things, God can trust you with a lot. Elijah went up and he put his, he threw his cloak around him. Now throwing someone's uh, prophet's cloak around him was basically saying, it symbolized the passing of power and authority from this person to the next person. He was saying, you're, you're going to be my student. He's saying, I'll be your mentor as God has worked through me. Elijah said, he's now going to work through you, Elisha. Now that brings me to ridiculous commitment principle number two. First one is you're faithful and little, God can trust you with much. Second one is you don't have to understand fully to obey immediately. Oh yeah, we're going to preach on this one. When God calls you to do something, you do not have to have the details to obey. After the cloak deal, what did Elisha do? He left his oxen, ran after Elijah, and he said, let me kiss my father and mother. And and Elijah said, fine. Now, did you notice he didn't pray about it? 
Did a pastor just say that? He didn't have to pray about it. He didn't have to have a list of, of reasons why he should and lists of reasons why he shouldn't. You know, the pros and cons, a cost-benefits analysis. He didn't do any of that thing. He said, God, I believe you're in it, so I'm going to go with you. You don't have to understand to do it immediately. And so um, one of the things that, that happened with me was in 2010 when there was an earthquake in Haiti, I was studying a thing called Experiencing God, and it says, wherever, wherever God's at work, you, you need to join him. And so I started praying, God, should we go to Haiti? We've been to Haiti six times as a church. I've been seven times. I'm about to go an eighth time. I'm going in November to scout out what we're going to do next year. going to spend four days just driving around the country praying and asking God to show uh, us where we're supposed to go. And, and if God leaves me on this earth, I intend to keep going until I'm 70. That's my goal. And, and in that time, I, I intend to go to Haiti at least 30 times. So we may take more than one trip a year. We, uh, this last year, we were with a group that was doing a medical mission trip, and, and I have always wanted to do a medical mission trip. We don't have to do it at the same time as our other mission trip. We can do it at the same time. I don't care. But somebody out there, God is calling you to lead a medical mission trip to Haiti. I'll set up all the logistics. You do all the medical stuff. God is calling you to do that because record numbers of people came through this church. And, and they actually had two instances, and God knew this before they ever went. There were two instances where people would have died had this medical team not been there. One of them, they caught a little boy whose, whose appendix had ruptured. And uh, they insisted that they go that day and they were able to remove his appendix. Another one, a lady wasn't even coming to... Um, wasn't even coming to the, the church where the, where the medical mission trip was. She was walking down the street, collapsed. Somebody found her, brought her to the church, and they were able to get her to the hospital. They were, uh, I don't even remember exactly what happened with her. But, but, and they got her, and they, they revived her. So she, she had actually died, Shandy said, uh, and they revived her there, and they were able to get her to the hospital. So... Uh, it's not that, that one is better than the other. It's just that God has equipped some of you to do that. And by doing that, hundreds of people came to the church. And as they're in line, some of the youth are doing songs with them. Some of them are teaching some Bible stories to these kids that are, that are there. Some of you are called to go to Haiti and you've been disobedient for six years. It's time to be obedient. Now, it's okay to plan. God's a planner, but here's the thing. God's plans are better than ours because he knows tomorrow, right? So I think God's plans are better. What I want to do is I want to be able to immediately respond when God calls me to do something. I don't have to have the details. I just want to know God's calling and I'm going to say I'm in. I'm going to say I'm in before he ever does that. Now, let me give you an example. Last year, our church has worked really, really hard to be debt-free. And so we started several years ago having an emergency fund and we started putting a percentage of money into our emergency fund. So we have a general fund, an emergency fund. We have a Haiti fund. We have all these different things and a percentage of our income goes into those things. Well, we were planning to, to build the parking lot out here. And when somebody calls up and says, hey, is your church interested in 38 acres behind your church? And I was like, yeah, because here's my, my plan was I wanted to buy two. We just needed two acres to give us six acres and we had enough room to someday build a new worship center. God said, how about 38? And so we were able to buy 38 acres for $69,000. We were able to take some money. We raised $20,000 on that one day and we took another 20,000. We took 10 out of our emergency fund, 10 out of our general fund. And then we already had some money in the bagel fund. And so we were able to buy that land. And everybody I tell that story to says, God has plans for New Life Community Church. He's not finished. I was walking the land with uh, Texas A&M 4 
uh, just the other day, and he, they're helping us with a plan. They're going to they're write a plan for us to plant some timber. They're, they're writing the plan for free, and he's, he's given me some information about how we can get some of the money back that we pour into that land. What I want to do is someday have timber out there that I hand off to the next pastor. If I make it to 70, I don't know how long I'm going to make it, but if I want to hand off that as a blessing to the next pastor where we can, we can cut down trees and have money to, to bless the future generations that are coming to new life. We've got to put ourselves in position so that we're ready to obey God. Some of you are not ready to be, obey God because you are trapped in debt. And every time God calls you to do something, you say, I can't do it because of this debt. Or you're trapped in some, some endless job that won't let you out. And you're, you're believing God's calling you to do something, but you're not willing to step out in faith and obey that. Let Elisha remind you that as long as you're faithful where you are, when God calls you, it's time to move. You've got to position yourself where you're ready to obey God immediately. And have you noticed that God very often guides with one word? Just one word. With Moses, he told Moses to go. Go where? Back to Egypt. Moses was not real happy about that. Abraham didn't even get that much detail. God says, Abraham, go. And Abraham says, where? And he says, to a land I will show you. How specific is that? Meaning you got to depend on me every step of the way. Elijah was given two words. The first time Elijah was told to leave a place where he was. And then right after the prophets of Baal thing, right before he anoints Elisha, he's out in the woods whining because he had this big, great thing happen. And then, oh, wicked queen Jezebel threatened to kill him. And so he runs off in the woods and he says, God, if this is the way it's going to be, kill me. And God said, uh, no. And he said, go. Go where? He had to go back and, and anoint Elisha. Because what happened was he was overwhelmed with ministry and God gave him an assistant. That's the way God works. But he had to be obedient. In the New Testament, Peter, he's, he's watching, he sees a guy there on the boat and he sees a guy and he goes, hey, that dude's walking on water. That's ridiculous. And somebody goes, it's Jesus. And he goes, Jesus, if that's you, tell me to come. And what did Jesus say? Come. Up's out of the boat. He was walking on water until he took his eyes off Jesus. And then he had to put him right back on Jesus. Jesus saved me. Jesus did. In 2002, God had released Janie and me from Southside Baptist Church. I had resigned there. And we didn't know what we were going to do. For several months, we didn't have a job. God told us to stay. And we prayed and we stayed and we prayed and we stayed. And we got poor, poor, poor. That's what happens when you don't have a job. And, uh, and then God said, start. I said, start What? He said, New Life Community Church. We're, we're 13 years in. And, and we don't believe that God is even... We're a teenager. Our church is a teenager. God has a sense of humor. I got teenagers everywhere. God said, start. Now, here's why I tell you that. Because some of you... Some of you need to hear this. This is the greatest adventure of my life. Is, is going through the ups and downs and the, and the craziness that is New Life Community Church. Some of you, you're in a marriage that, that's really rocky and you, you're going to hear the word stay. And you don't have to understand fully to obey immediately. Some of you remember what happened with, with Timmy this last year. Timmy just had his checkup with his ear, nose, throat doctor and, and the doctor who discovered the cancer, right? They just went to see him on Friday and they said, that you're cancer free. Now, hang on. That's good, but you, wait, wait, let me back up. Because if you went back to the time that he was diagnosed with cancer and you watched Tina's posts on Facebook, you would, you would very quickly figure out that one of Tina's words was trust. 
And God has answered her prayer to trust him. And, and I, I started to say, ironically, it's not ironic to God. I don't know if you remember, but I told you back in January, my one word for the year comes from Revelation 22, 2, and it says healing. And, and it talks about the tree of life that's in heaven, and it says the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. God told me that he was going to do some healing in our church. I didn't know he was talking about Timmy. I didn't know he was talking about my daughter. I didn't know he was talking about marriages in this church. I just knew that God said, healing is your word for 2015. Some of you have heard me preach over and over about getting off your rears and serving. You don't know where or how, but, but your word might be start. And you're like, start what? I don't know. Start immediately. You don't have to understand. You just start something. If we don't have a ministry that, that, you're, that, that suits what, how God has created you, guess what? Your word is still start. You get to start one. Yesterday, when the, the whole idea for the clothing in Christ's name, that was Ryan and, and Lacey Lightfoot thought that up. And they came to me one day and they said, hey, we just want to get some clothes together and, and be a blessing to people. Can we do that for free? And I'm like, sure. So they started it. And then the whole, uh, the, the groceries, we gave out 70 something bags of groceries yesterday. That's a ministry that Brian and Charlotte Swallow started. And they came to me several months ago and they said, Hey, we've been doing this. Can we do this in the church? I said, sure. And then the crazy thing that happened yesterday, I had so much fun. Do you see the pictures down there? There's about six or seven of them. Start, start from the furthest one and come back to that one at the front in the picture file. So these are just some of the folks just kind of go through them. Go ahead and go to the next one. That is, thank you. He's been looking. He's been wanting to do that the whole day. These are two of my favorite little girls from yesterday. And, and when I started taking pictures, we became friends. And they started putting on stuff, and they wanted pictures all the time. Keep going. Um, oh, I love those two uh, families. Keep going, keep going. We've got to move on through this. Uh, just, you can see the piles and piles of clothes. Keep going. There's another one there. Oh, wait, how, how'd that one get in there? So I wanted you to see that, that, God did some stuff yesterday because other people started. And while we were here, we found out somebody needed a haircut. And so Casey heard that, went home and got Sherry's stuff, and she did two or three. Where is she? Did two haircuts yesterday. Two little boys went out here with a free haircut, and we went, we need to have haircuts next time. Right? So, some of us, yeah. God, every crowd. Some of you, your word is shut up. <laughs> Two words. Some of you have been around the church for a while and you're kind of growing in God and, and you need to hear the word commit. Quit watching what God's doing and get involved. There may be a single girl right here and you're dating a jerk loser punk. That's like three strikes and he's out, right? And everybody knows it, and, and God may give you one word, and when he does, you obey. And what is your one word? Break up with the jerk. Five words, but you need to hear five because you're not listening for one. Leave him because he's not worth it. You're better than that. You, uh, you're much, much too special to, to deal with a fixer-upper, right? God's not going to waste a godly woman on some punk dude. And, and see, you're going, well, who am I going to date? Who am I going to marry? I don't know. I, this is what I do know. You cannot marry a cherry limeade while you're dating a slush. I don't know what that means. But some out, someone out there does. You don't have to understand everything to obey immediately, right? All right. No idea what that means. Ridiculous commitment principle three. 
those God uses the most are the ones that hold on the least. Hold on to what? Money, family, jobs. Because if you think you're in control, go hang out with some of the, the EMTs that we have or, or go with me when I, when I go visit someone who's, who just lost a loved one. You're not in control. If you think you are, whatever you do, don't tell God that you're in control. Because he will show you. Not because he's a mean God, but because he will not share his glory with anyone. And when you start thinking you're something, the Bible says you're about to fall. God gives grace to humble people, but he opposes the proud. And, and when, when Elisha returned to his oxen, he slaughtered him. These were animals that paid the bills. He killed them dead. That's ridiculous, right? And then he, he killed the cows and he burned the plows, right? Now, if you've been around church any time, you understand kill the cows, you understand sacrifices and things like that because there's sacrifices everywhere. Adam and Eve um, sinned and God killed an innocent animal and put the skins on them and then there were all kinds of sacrifices for sin. And even the, even the prodigal son, when he came home, what the, what the dad do? He, he killed the cow and he said, how do you want your steak? Medium rare? I don't know. Let's party, right? You understand kill the cows, but burn the plows. It's like he's saying, I'm burning plan B. And if you're a parent and your kids come home with you and they say, there is no plan B, plan A is God and I'm going to follow God. And and I got to be honest with you, my kids come home to me. They better, they know that they know that they know because I'm going to be saying, save the plows because you might need that. Let's not burn the plows yet. But you know, over and over in the Bible, when people are moved by God, they do ridiculous, crazy commitment things for God to follow him. Whenever Peter encountered Jesus the first time, he'd been fishing all night and Jesus said, hey, throw your net on the other side. And if you're a fisherman and somebody comes, tells you how to fish, you're thinking, shut up. And, and, but he did it. He obeyed and he caught all these fish. And Peter, because the net's about broke, Peter bowed down and he said, God, he said to Jesus, Lord, I'm a sinful man. Please depart from me. And Jesus said, from now on, Peter, you get to be a fisher of men. And, and every one of the disciples did something just as crazy as, as kill the cows and burn the plows because it says that when Jesus called them, they left everything to follow him. We can read by that and just not think much of it. What might that look like for you? Somebody may have to leave a job, something you train for. I got a major in college for this. Some of you may have to leave comfort, family, neighborhood, church. They left everything to follow God. Now make sure that you know it's God because I don't want you just because you hate your job to go in and say, I hate you all and burn down the building. That's not what I'm saying. All right? Because, because you're going to jail. I've been there. You don't want to go there. Now, you can't go backwards when God is calling you forward. And we've got to finish this up before Miss Janie gets mad at the preacher. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to look at somebody on your right and your left. And I want you to say, maybe it's time you burned a plow. Now, now I want you to look at your second choice, the person you didn't choose first. And I want you to say, maybe you need to burn a plow. <laughs> now, here's the thing. I don't know what the plow looks like in your life. If there's a sin that's holding you back, you need to burn it. If there's a relationship that's holding you back, you need to burn it. Whatever is holding you back, you need to get rid of. And that kind of brings me to the, to the last point, the last ridiculous commitment principle. To step towards your destiny, you've got to step away from your security. 
God is, God is calling somebody today. He's, he's going to speak to you and he's going to give you a faith, uh, a plow burning faith today. Could be to go to Haiti. Some of you have been talking about it for years and now's the time to plan, right? Shandy, Shandy didn't plan until May and we kept telling her and, and ask, ask the people who had to raise a lot of money this year if God provided right? Thatcher's God provided. Shandy, God provided. When you are obedient and they didn't even raise all of their money, God still provided. You do what you can and God will make up the rest. Happens every year. Happens in my family because we don't have just, you know, $6,000, laying around to send my family. Every year God provides. We do what we can and God provides. So you have to step away from your security to get to your destiny. Haiti could be children's area, could be to start tithing the church, could be to get in to celebrate recovery, attend a small group. God is calling you to do something greater for his kingdom. And by the way, where, where a lot of this stuff is coming from is a, is a book I've started reading called Greater by Stephen Furtick. And it's all about the life of Elisha and it's so much more in depth than what I can do on a Sunday morning. If you want to, if you want to read something that will help you understand Elisha, then, then get that book. The other thing is if you have, if you are one of those people that does devotionals, um, I do, I, I did it before in February, but I'm doing the life of Elisha again. It's on you version. You just look up Elisha, it'll pop up. And, and if not, if you're not a version person, I have some talk it over guides and it tells you a daily reading pr- uh, plan for this whole series. I hope you'll commit to that because if we just have a good time in here and we just look at a history lesson, we've wasted an hour because God is so much bigger than that and he's got plans for your life. So I want you to bow your heads real quickly. How many of you would say, I don't want anything to hold me back. I want ridiculous faith to obey God. Would you raise your hands? Now put them down and I'm going to repeat that because that was a lot of people and I hope you mean it. How many of you say, I don't want anything to hold me back. I want ridiculous faith to obey God even when it doesn't make sense. Raise your hands. That's a lot of you. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would do a work in us. Over these next four weeks, as we look at Elisha's ridiculous faith, I pray that ridiculous faith would become normal because that's what your scripture says. We, we, don't, we don't need to have the faith that the church in America has had for the last several years. We need mountain-moving faith. We need raised people from the dead faith. We need resurrected marriages faith. We need people coming into the kingdom of God who've sworn there is no God-type faith. God, I would, I would pray we wouldn't just believe in what your Bible says, but we would believe in who you are, that you can do anything. And if you give us just a word, I pray that God will obey that word. I pray for those who've made a decision today, those who raise their hands, give them a clear burning call to obey. Put a fire in their souls that cannot be quenched. Then change the world, God, through your obedient servants. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.